dirty shirt on the entire time when I was preaching. So I was wearing a white shirt with a big coffee stain on it. And what I was trying to help us to understand is what Jesus was trying to communicate is that uh, being externally clean is not the same thing as having a heart that's made right with God. And so now he's going to transition. We're going to see and follow Jesus as he moves into different areas. He's going to cross some cultural boundaries this week. And so we're not going to see a verse... Uh, in our text this week that says, you must cross cultures, right? But we're calling our, our sermon this morning, Follow Cross-Culturally, because what we see is we see Jesus do that, and then the rest of the New Testament tells us that's the job of God's people, is to cross cultures, to share the good news of who God is with every culture, with every kind of people. So we're kind of seeing it modeled in this text this morning. So I'm kind of taking these commands from other places in scriptures, applying it to this text because we see Jesus doing it. Right? We see him doing it and we want to follow him and do what he does. So if you'll read with me, I'm going to read verses, uh, starting in verse 24. Mark 7:24. From there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. This is a very pagan area. Then he entered a house and did not want anyone to know that he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis, another pagan area. Him and his friends were from one side of the Sea of Galilee and the Decapolis is on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, the more pagan area. So verse 32, They brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue and looked up to heaven. Looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened. His tongue was released and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Let me pray for us and ask God to help us to hear what he has to say to us this morning. God, I pray that you would speak to us. Lord, you know our desire to stay comfortable, to stay in our own culture. But again and again, you push us to step across boundaries for your sake and to follow you as you do that. God, we see you as the God that left heaven to come to earth for our good. And so I pray that we would be the kind of people that would follow you and be like you. I pray that you would teach us this morning, that your spirit would open our ears so that we would be able to hear and so that we would be able to speak. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I was thinking about crossing boundaries, leaving home, leaving the comforts of home, I was remembering uh, what it was like for me as a child in my home when I was five, six, seven years old, playing in the neighborhood. I had two uh, really good friends that were brothers. So it was an older brother and a younger brother, and I was right in between, right? So I was in age order. I was in the middle of these three three of us that hung around and did stuff in the neighborhood. They just lived two doors down. So these were my best friends in those early elementary years. 
And I think I mentioned this a while before, um, but when we would play, it was kind of weird. Like the oldest guy would always get to be the, the cool character, right? And then uh, me and the younger guy, not not as much. But I didn't mind because kind of the way it would work out, I'll explain to you. Like we'd play Lone Ranger and Tonto, and my older friend would be Lone Ranger, and I would be Lone Ranger's twin, and then the younger brother would be Tonto, right? So that was kind of how it played out. And I was like, well, second best best is better than Tonto, so that's cool. You know, I'm fine with that. You know, we had these little like Lone Ranger and Tonto guys on little horses and stuff. So I was okay with that. It even carried over to our, our uh, playing uh, Chips. Do you remember the show Chips, California Highway Patrol? Oh, such a great show, right? And and so, of course, when, when we would play, my older friend would be Ponch, the cool one. I would be Ponch's brother. And then the poor younger brother would just be John. Like, who wants to be John, right? The, the boring white guy in the show. And so, when we would play, the older brother would always kind of get to be the best character. I would almost get to be the best character. And then the younger guy would kind of get the leftover part, right? And And... I didn't. I kind of felt bad for him sometimes, but I didn't worry too bad about it because I was kind of selfish at that age, and I was just glad that I almost got to be the best person, right? And, and so these brothers would fight a lot over these kinds of things. They'd have conflicts, and finally one day the younger brother had just had enough, right? He wasn't going to take it anymore. He he just couldn't handle being mistreated this way, and so he just decided he was leaving. He was packing his bags. And he was going to take off. So he was like six years old, and he decided he was going to run away. He went and got his little bag, and he put, I guess, you know, like his little Tonto guy and his horse in there, and fresh pair of underwear, zipped up his bag, and he took off. He walked like two blocks away down the street, six years old, before finally his older brother thought, okay, I'm the older brother. I guess I should, I guess I should go get him, right, and try to convince him to come back home. He finally went and got him. He convinced him to come back home, to come and stay in the comforts of home. But as I think about God's call to us to leave the comforts of our home, to take His grace to other people, as I was thinking about that story, I was thinking, really what God wants out of us is the exact opposite of what happened with my friend. And this may have happened to you too. You may have been in a situation, maybe in a job, um, maybe you ran away from home, maybe when you were, you know, maybe not six, but maybe like 16, right? You just said, I can't, I can't do this anymore, I'm going to go do my own thing. Uh, maybe it was older, maybe it was younger. Uh, maybe it was a job where you just didn't like that job anymore and you're like, I'm going to take my ball and go home. This is stupid. I don't want to be here anymore. But we've all probably been through that experience where we're, we're thinking, I don't want to be a part of this anymore, so I'm going to leave. I'm going to go to a new country. I'm going to go to a new place. And I'm going to break out on my own because I can't stand the way I'm be treated, being treated here. And with Jesus, it is the exact opposite. With the story of God and, and what He calls us to as well is that everything was perfect. And He left a place where everything was perfect to come to a place where everything was broken because He was overflowing with love, because He was so secure, because He was so filled with grace, because He was so filled with love, He left heaven and came to earth to share His love with us. And He calls us to follow in that same place, right? He doesn't want us to just leave the comforts of our culture and go to another culture just because we hate it. But He wants us to leave it because we're full. He wants us to leave it because we're overflowing with His grace and follow Him in the same way that He left heaven and came to earth. He wants us to be willing to leave what's comfortable and go to other people, to move towards other people. Now this can be physically moving sometimes, right? God calls you to physically move. Sometimes God just calls you to walk across a room. Sometimes God just calls you to walk across a room and be welcoming to another person because of the love of Christ. Have you ever been in a situation where you've walked into a room, you didn't know anybody, and it felt really uncomfortable and awkward? Anybody been there? 
Yeah, maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm the only introvert in the room. But, but okay, some of you too. That, but that can be a very terrifying experience. But as we become more full in the Gospel, as we become more secure, as we become more convinced that we are absolutely loved as adopted children of God, that enables us to walk across that room. That enables us to leave the comforts of home and cross cultures for the sake of Jesus. And so I think that's the call that we have here. As we follow Jesus, do like He does. That's what we see in the text. And I wanted to go back and just review a little bit of what we learned last week. The first reason that we would cross cultures is because of this new heart. That was really what Jesus was majoring on last week. He said the problem is not the culture. It's not the external conformity. It's not the rituals that you would go through religiously. The problem is your own heart. Right? I want to just reread that last section from last week that we looked at when we were talking about how we need a new heart and we can't just fix the outside of ourselves. But God has to transform us from the inside out spiritually. If you go back in Mark 7 to verse 14, just reading a part of what we looked at last week, He called the people to Him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. That's, that's probably an indicator that this is important, Right? When Jesus says, Hear me, all of you, and understand, that's a sign you are to pay attention. Verse 15, There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. He said to them, Then are you also without understanding? So his disciples, like normal, didn't really understand what in the world he was talking about, right? And that should encourage us because we're like that, right? You're like, I'm going to read the Bible in 2012. You pick it up and you're like, I do not know what this means. I don't know what he's talking about. Well, ask him and he'll begin to explain things to you. He explains it to his disciples. Do you see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart but his stomach? He's talking about food here. Thus he declared that all foods are clean. Verse 20, he said to him, He said to them, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. The problem is us. The problem's not that food I ate, right? When I sin against my family, I can't say, Well, I'm sorry, you know, I I had some pepperoni at lunch today. Right? I mean, it's not, that's not what makes me unclean. It, it's me. I am a selfish person. I am sinful. And we talked also about how he lists out all these sins, and, and every culture recognizes these sins in general agreement, right? We talked about last week how every culture is going to recognize most of the Ten Commandments, and then there's going to be a few that we'll throw out, right? Like our culture tends to throw out sexual immorality and sensuality. We tend to throw out coveting. You know, we say those things are okay. You know, those things are too important to get rid of. But everything else, it's bad, right? And, and other cultures do this, right? Like other cultures may agree, oh no, those things are bad, but deceit, that's fine, that's no big deal. And so we kind of pick and choose what we want to do and, and justify ourselves. And Jesus is saying that the problem is not the external rituals that you go through. The problem is not the clothes that you wear. The problem is not the, the performance that you go through. The problem is you. And as I talked about last week, he basically leaves them hanging. And it's only because we can read the whole story we know that Jesus is the solution to that problem. We need someone to take our place. We need uh, to have our hearts transformed as we realize that Jesus perfectly fulfilled all these things that we're called to and we failed. 
And if we recognize our own failure but come to Him in faith and say, will you give me your righteousness as a gift? He gives it to us freely. And that's what it means to be born again. That's what it means to trust in Christ, to to walk in faith with Him. It's trusting that He's righteous and and we're not, but we are now righteous by faith. That God looks at at us as delightful, as His very own children. He adopts us. He makes us His own. He's pleased with us through Christ and what Christ has done for us. And understanding all this enables us, it gives us that security to cross cultures. You see, if all your security is wrapped up in your culture, in your external culture, then then you're not going to want to cross boundaries. Because then you're justified by being a 21st century American, right? Or you're justified by being a member of this kind of church. Or you're justified by being a member of this kind of group. Or being a kind of person with this degree. Or being this kind of profession. When you put all your stock in those external things, then you can't leave those things. You can't let go of those things. You're unable to cross boundaries. You're unable to cross cultures and love other people. But when all your security is based on having a new heart, that you have a new identity in Christ, then that frees you to be able to cross those cultures. That frees you to be able to step out. I see everybody fanning themselves. So I'm going to ask a couple of deacons if you could turn on the AC. I think we've got the heat on in the back, but it's... One of those days where it's going to be cold in the morning and hot in the afternoon. Last week I wore the stained shirt. You see a picture there of a guy that spilled coffee on his shirt. I don't know if you can see that coffee stain very well. And again, that was to show that you can be externally unclean, but internally you can be clean. And I was thinking about the different kinds of religious uniforms that we put on. I was thinking about, so how does that work for us? Because we have a pretty non-denominational, non-traditional kind of church. And there's a danger that we would think that we are like completely a-cultural, like without culture, right? Because we don't have the trappings of tradition. But we have traditions too. So I thought what, we, what I could do to just prove this is step back in time. In 10 years we'll be able to do this easily. We'll be able to make fun of, of who we are now in 10 years. It's hard to see it when you're in the middle of it, right? So what I'm doing is I'm stepping back in time. When I first became a Christian, 1990, I want to show you what the uniform was at, at our church. Okay, I was joking with Adam about this the other day because I was wearing the uniform the other day. Uh, I went to a meeting and had on the uniform. And uh, we had a very casual, non-traditional, contemporary church. Okay? And this is what progressive, uh, contemporary, non-traditional church looked like in 1990. That was the uniform. Every man in the church wore that same outfit. Every single man. And we were so free because we didn't have a tie on, right? So we were just, man, cut loose, no tie, blue shirt, khaki pants. We all wore the exact same thing. We all wore the exact same thing. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this because I still wear blue shirts and khaki pants still, but it was just funny that we all wore that every Sunday. And it was like a, it was like a uniform. But we thought of ourselves as so like carefree and so cutting edge. And, and everybody has a culture. My point is that we all have a culture. We all have this external uniform. Now, none of us thought that we were saved by the dockers, right? None of us thought we were saved by the clothes that we were wearing. But everybody takes on an external culture. We, we all have a culture. In 20 years, people will look at pictures of us and go, oh, they all looked like this, right? Or, you know, they all did this. This is how they did things back then. And we have to continue to, continue to push our hearts back to the gospel. But it's not the culture. It's not the program. We've talked about this a lot in our ministry programs. We have a lot of great programs in our church. Ways to administer God's Word and share that with others. And we organize that in programs, Right? But we're probably not going to use the exact same books in 10 years that we use today. 
But our hope is, our prayer is that we'll be pulling people back to the same gospel. That we'll be pointing people back to the same Jesus. That in ten years, just like today, really the, the muscle of everything that we do will be Jesus transforming people's hearts. And so as we understand that, that enables us to cross cultures because we have a new heart, because we're now free. The first, um, first part of our mission statement as a church is that we would trust God's grace. Right? We have a mission statement built around grace, Bible, and church because we thought that would be easier to remember. Right? I forget things easily. So grace, Bible, and church. And so the first step is that we would just trust God's grace. That it's not by external conformity that we're brought into His presence. But it's by His grace. That's what sets us free. In Colossians 2, he talks about this. If you want to flip over, Colossians 2 is on page 984 in the Black Bibles. He describes this contrast between external conformity and a new heart. In Colossians 2.16, he says, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. So he's saying the external forms of religion, don't let people judge you based on that. Right? Previously he'd said, we're, we're, we're judged or Jesus is judged in our place. So we're brought into His presence by the cross. So he's saying because of all that, everything he says earlier in chapter 2, don't let Him judge you on these external things. The way you worship. The way you do your religion. So it's verse 17. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So all of the rituals of worship in the Old Testament were pointers. They were shadows. They were signs, right? Those things were supposed to show us that we're impure and we need to be purified. But don't think that the ritual itself is what fixes you. It's God and His grace. We need to, again, continue to push ourselves back to Him and trusting in Him and His grace to us. If you skip down to verse 20, chapter 2, 20 in Colossians, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why is if you were still alive in the world do you submit to regulations, like don't handle, don't taste, don't touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. This is a scary verse. This is a verse that always bothers me, right? Because one of the things I'll encourage you with, if you come to me for counseling, I'll encourage you to trust in God's grace. But I'll also say, you know, it'd probably be good for you to read your Bible and practice some discipline in your life, right? So, so external things are not bad. But what he's saying is, ultimately, they don't really have the power to fix what's wrong with you. That makes sense? Let me just give you an illustration from my own life. I struggled on and off with depression in my life. And when I came to Christ, that kind of like blew up. That, that, that went away in a, in a big way. And, and I had a new joy. But I'm still basically a melancholy personality. I still kind of drift back to that reset button. And I have to kind of preach the gospel to myself and remember the hope that I have in Jesus. Now, there's another thing, too, that I've noticed. When I don't sleep, I get grumpy and depressed, too. Right? And so, of course, there are these physical things that you can do to help yourself. Some of you need to be on medicine. Some of you need to just sleep at night. I mean, there's basic physical things you can do. And the Scriptures understand that. And the Scriptures have that that full-orbed worldview. But the real power, the real thing that's changed me more than anything else is recognizing that I'm loved because of what God has done for me through Jesus. That's what ultimately changed me. And there's other things I tweak around the edges, right? Try to exercise, I try to eat right. You know, different things like that help with, with melancholy. But ultimately, I need to hope in Jesus. And that's what's changed me more than anything else. 
And so we have to understand, he's not saying that physical things do nothing, that disciplines do nothing. Those things are helpful, but the ultimate power is Christ and His cross. That's what changes us. So again, my encouragement to you is to continue to trust in God's grace. As we think through that and, okay, where's the entry point to that as a church? Corporately, the entry point to that is just coming to church. We would say, come to church and we're just going to try to beat your head with, trust Jesus, right? We're going to remind you of that every week because we drift away from it and you need to be reminded and I need to be reminded and we have to preach the gospel to ourselves and we have to corporately preach the gospel to remind ourselves that we need to trust in God's grace. So that's really the primary thing that our church service is about, is helping us to, to steep in that and to soak in that. But the next thing that we see is that we're to cross cultures like Jesus because of our new tribe. We're to cross cultures because of our new tribe. If you look at verse... Well, now I've got to flip back to Mark. Mark 7 again. Back to Mark 7, page 843 in the Black Bibles. Mark 7, verse 24. This is where we see him really going to a, a different place, crossing a cultural barrier. It says in verse 24, From there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. So this was the very pagan place, a famous uh, passage in Ezekiel. A lot of people think it's making double reference to Satan when it talks about the king of Tyre. So it was a place that in the Old Testament they considered to be very evil, very pagan, kind of a Greek, uh, Phoenician, Philistine place. So Tyre inside, and he entered a house, and he did not want anyone to know that he could not be hidden. So he's looking for a break. He needs a, a little ministry vacation. So he's like, I know, I'll have a vacation by going to this evil place, and then I won't have to do a bunch of ministry there, right? But then people follow him there as well. Verse 25, Immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. So, the text is telling us in a double way that she's really a pagan. She's a Gentile. That's the, uh, the Jewish way of saying one of the non-Jews, right? It's a funny translation. Really, in the Greek, it's just the word, the nations, right? So, it just kind of means everybody else. So, the Jews were the special nation, you know, the promised. Uh, they had the promises of God. They were God's special people. And then they considered, and then there's everybody else. There's all those bad pagan people out there. We Sometimes, sadly, we think that way as well sometimes as modern Christians. And so it's saying she was one of the nations, one of those other people, and then specifically a Syrophoenician. So she was definitely a pagan, right? He's in pagan place. It's a pagan person. The, the text is trying to really emphasize that for us. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. So she had an unclean spirit, which is also a tie-in with last week, right? We were talking about being clean externally versus internally. Now there's this pagan who has a daughter that's struggling with an unclean spirit. She's internally unclean. She begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Verse 27 says, And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Does that make you cringe a little bit? Can you believe Jesus would say such a mean thing to somebody? Right? That doesn't really fit our... Our nice Jesus imagery um, is kind of harsh there. The, the Jews would insult the pagans in that day by calling them dogs. Uh, one commentator says that he's actually saying puppies, so he's being a little nicer, right? <laughs> so the, the word in the text there is not the normal word for dogs, but it's more like puppies. So he's being a little nicer to her than he, than he might have been. Verse 28 says, But she answered him, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She takes his insult and she accepts it. She says, yeah, that's right, but, but even the dogs get the crumbs 
under the table. Listen to how Jesus responds. Verse 29, He said to her, For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. Jesus is going out of His way to, to prove a point here, right? He just finished telling His disciples back when He was in Jewish territory that it's not about external boundaries any longer. It's about having a new heart, right? You have to have a new heart. The problem with sin is not whether you're Jewish or non-Jewish. It's not whether you wash or you don't wash. It's your heart. That's where sin comes from. And then here he is. He walk, this, this lady walks up to him and he draws the boundary really hard. He's basically speaking a parable. And what a lot of the commentators say is this is the first time in the Gospel of Mark that someone understood one of Jesus' parables. It's the first time somebody got it. It's the first time, and she's this pagan. It's the first time someone understands his, his riddle, what he's saying when he's saying these confusing things. All the other times, the disciples are like, what are you talking about? What, do, what did that mean? What are you saying, Jesus, right? And she gets him. He's drawing this hard line. He's drawing this big, he's putting this big wall up, this cultural boundary, and he's saying, yeah, you don't, you don't get anything from God, right? Because you're the wrong kind of person. And she says, I am, I am the wrong kind of person, but but I still know that you could be gracious to me, right? Like I could at least have some crumbs off the table. And so, so she models for us what our posture should be before God. We shouldn't come up to God saying, I'm the right kind of person, and I get to sit at the table because I'm good, right? Because I was born here, and I look this way, and I have this outfit on, or I've gone through these, these rituals, or I've done these religious things. But no, we should, we should have this posture before God saying, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm a dog. I, I don't deserve anything, but... Maybe I could have some scraps, right? Just give you a picture of what that looks like. I went to the trouble of finding one here. It's a puppy. <laughs> puppy staring up at some scraps at the table. I think he's like cross-eyed. It makes it even better there. He is intense. Wanting some scraps there. And so Jesus, what, what seems like an, an insult, what seems really mean, I think, again, is a, is a parable. And she's the first character in this Gospel, in the Gospel of Mark, to immediately hear, to hear with spiritual ears, to get what he's saying. And she responds spiritually, saying, yes, I know I'm guilty, but I'm still asking for grace. And that's the position that we need to have as we come before God. And so, again, the only way we're going to really be able to cross cultural boundaries is as we let go of our own cultural boundaries. Does that make sense? We have to come to this new tribe and understand that ultimately, my tribe is being adopted by God, by grace. Not because I deserve it. I don't deserve it. I'm a dog, but because of His grace, He gives me crumbs. He feeds me. He forgives me because He loves me. He's gracious and His grace overflows. Now, I, I love my tribe, right? I'm very happy to have been born in the richest country in the world in what I think is a, a wonderful place, right? So don't hear me the wrong way. Don't hear me saying... You know, our culture's terrible and we've got to reject it because it's awful. I'm, I'm saying I love it, but I know that that ultimately is not going to get me to heaven. I'm very happy. I feel blessed to be born where I was born. But that's a responsibility. And it's a responsibility that I can only fulfill as a part of my new tribe, my ultimate tribe, my primary identity as a son of God. Right? So our, our racial or our national identity, that, that's secondary to who we are in Christ. We are His child by grace. And we get to exercise that in the real world as a part of these other tribes, right? We, we live in real neighborhoods. We speak real languages. We have real traditions. And all those things are fine. We just can't draw our primary identity out of those things. 
And the only way we'll be able to leave our tribe to help people of other tribes is if we recognize that those earthly tribes are not our primary identity. They're just secondary. They're things that we hold loosely. Yes, I'm thankful for it. I've got some family traditions. I'm thankful for those. Those are great. But that's not what gives me my identity. My identity is that I'm, I'm a son of God by grace, through faith. So one of the things that we encourage you to do as you grow in your walk with Christ, going back to our mission statement again, it's grace, Bible, and church, that you would gather with others to grow in your understanding and your submission to the Bible. That you would begin to see your identity as formed by God and what He says to you instead of what you say about yourself. So we would say you need to submit to the Bible in community with others. You need to find community formed around the gospel, His grace to you, not formed around the color of your skin or the type of music you like to listen to. Now, a lot of times, honestly, a lot of our little small groups in our communities, they end up being formed that way because we're human beings and that's just how we know to do things, right? So a lot of times our groups don't have a lot of mixture to them. A lot of times we have this group and they're these kind of people and we have this group and they're those kind of people. And that's okay, as long as we hold those things loosely and we recognize that our primary identity is in Christ and we're seeking this new identity in Him. We're seeking to submit to what He has to say to us in the Scriptures. The last thing that we see is that we should cross cultures because of our new voice. This is another cool picture here. So we have, uh, with the Syrophoenician woman, we have someone who understands a parable for the first time, right? We have this other picture that shows physically what Jesus has been trying to get people to get spiritually. That we can't hear Him. And only when we begin to hear what He's really saying to us will we be able to speak it to other people. So we have this beautiful miracle where that's acted out physically. Look at verse 31. He returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. Uh, Interesting thing that liberal scholars do sometimes, whenever they see anything funny in the text, uh, they use that to bolster their position that the text is not trustworthy, right? Uh, But I would say that what we have here in the text is just showing us that Jesus is wandering outside the normal boundaries. Because if you look at a map... He's kind of going in a confusing order here. Like he's, he's going out of his way in a strange direction. And so some people are like, oh, look, see, there's a problem with the text there. That doesn't make sense. Why would anybody not go the most direct route? Well, we do that, right? And again, I think Jesus is acting out what God is calling us to do, and that's to wander outside of our normal boundaries for the sake of the gospel. It's very clear at the end of Mark. It's very clear at the end of Matthew. Go to all the nations. It's very clear in the Old Testament. God's people are to be a light to the Gentiles, a light to the nations. So we have this job to go. It's very clear in Genesis, right? Before sin even entered in, He says, Go and fill the world. Be fruitful. Multiply. Spread. Take this Eden. Take this paradise and spread it to the whole world. So again and again, as Christians, we're told to spread. We're told to cross cultural boundaries. Jesus is doing that again. He's gone to the region of the Decapolis. Again, it's the pagan side of the Sea of Galilee, opposite from where all he and his Jewish friends live. Verse 32, They brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. Um, so when people can't hear, they often speak abnormally, right? A lot of you've seen that. I'm sure many of you have seen that before him. And so this guy's probably been made fun of, I would guess, right? Because he's handicapped. And so we see here the tenderness of Jesus taking him aside. If you look in verse 33, It says, in taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, then he touched his tongue. He looked up to heaven, he sighed, and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. 
is kind of acting out some weird things here. Uh, again, if you're unbelieving, you might think, oh, he's just doing normal witch doctor stuff, right? Some kind of like magic mumbo jumbo. But when you look at what he's doing, it, it appears that he's signing to him, right? It appears that he's kind of acting out like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you here, right? Because the way he heals him ultimately is the way God always does things. Verse 34, he sighed, he looked up to heaven, he said, Ephatha, he said, be opened. And it says in verse 35, his ears were opened. His tongue was released and he spoke plainly. He now has a voice. Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Now, if you've grown up in Christian culture uh, like I have, I, I went to a church when I was a teenager, and I remember hearing people talk about how you're supposed to tell other people about Jesus. And I don't know about you, but that sounded really weird to me. Um, I just thought, I don't, I don't know about that part. Like, I'm okay with being a nice guy and all that, but I don't know about just like walking up and telling people stuff. And, and here, what's interesting is Jesus saying, Don't tell anybody. And they can't help it, right? And I think this is a little truer of, of the way it should work. We should have a heart that wants to share, okay? Now, I've, I've described this to you before, and, and be careful. You may be like me as a teenager thinking you don't want to tell anybody, and then God may call you to do that very thing, right? But, but we're not all called to, to be public preachers, right? We, we've talked about that before in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4 and these other passages and scriptures uh, the Gospels tell us, or the, the Apostles tell us, that we all have different gifts, right? So, so a lot of you may not be speakers, right? That may not be your gift, but God's given you a new voice. As He transforms your heart, as He heals you so that you can hear what He's saying, as you can hear that He's a God of grace, you'll begin to have a voice to share, He's a God of grace. He, he loves me, and He loves you. And you'll be set free to actually share that with other people. Now again, you may not be the most eloquent. You may stumble. The way you may do it is you may just say, just, just read this book. I don't know how to describe it, right? Or just come to church with me. You, you may not feel like you have the words to articulate it, but you're going to want to share that. If you really understand that God is gracious, you're going to want other people to know that too. And your gift may be mercy, or your gift may be administration, or your gift may be helps, right? The, the Scriptures list out all these different gifts. Some of us are good at doing things with their hands. I'm not, right? I'm, I'm terrible at that. So I need others of you in, in my life. We, the Scriptures say we're one body and we have different parts, right? Some of us are a mouth, some of us are a hand, some of us are feet. And God gives us different roles. But no matter how you fulfill this, as you learn to hear that God is good, you're going to want to share that God is good. And you may be more like Jesus. You may sign it. You may act it out more when you speak it, as He does to this deaf man before He heals him. I don't know how He's going to do it in your life. But I promise you that as you hear, as your ears are opened up, you're going to want to share His goodness with other people. The final, uh, final way that we talk about that in our mission statement is be the church. We say that it's our job to be the church. I wanted to show you a picture real quick. Think about feeling foolish. I want to tell you a little story about one time I was in this youth ministry and they had this game where they would put headphones on you and they'd play a song and then you had to sing along. And they told me, they like took me in another room, right? They told me that the object of the game was for me to sing along so that everybody else could guess what I was singing. 
And I thought, oh, I can sing pretty good. That's pretty cool. All right, I'll do this. And so then they bring me out. They put the headphones on, but they crank the music up so loud that you can't hear yourself. You know, you don't really sing that well when you can't hear yourself, right? And, and so that was the joke, right? The joke was on me. I was supposed to be uh, foolish. It was kind of just a joke to, to make fun of me, and everybody laughed, and it was fine. And I think they knew I was, I was you know, nice enough. I wasn't going to get all mad at them for it. But it, it all worked out. But I want to encourage you guys that, that no matter what God is calling you to do, you're not going to look foolish like that. Again, I want to take you back to what Jesus did with this man who was who couldn't hear. He, he took him aside and he spoke to him tenderly. And so I want to encourage you one time, one more time, that as God calls us to be the church and to share our voice, again, we're not, we're not calling you to, to be foolish or to be stupid. We're calling you to, to just share what He shared with you. And, and so I want to encourage you to get involved in a ministry where you can share the grace that God has given to you. Some of you guys are, are in the box kind of people, right? Some of you are outside the box. Some of you are in the box and you're, you're just like, Dave, just, just give me something to do, right? So I'm going to tell you, we, we need people to serve in our nursery. We need people to serve in our children's ministry. I, I mentioned that earlier. We've, we've got people that are moving in the summer and, and we need people to plug in. And we believe that really is a way that you can share hope as we preach and as we share the gospel corporately as a church, part of how we do that is we have a place for people's children where they'll be safe and well cared for. So you could help us to do this by, by serving in one of those ministries. You could open up your home and help us to have more small groups because we really believe that's going to help people to understand who God is as, as actually connect in real relationships. Right? So there, there are in-the-box things you could do corporately with us. But I also want to help to make sure you understand that being the church doesn't just mean doing stuff that we tell you to do at this church, right? God has given you guys more creativity than we have, and some of you are coming up with stuff in the community that we could never dream of. Some of you are taking ministry to the jails, right? Some of you are, are just loving uh, your coworkers well. You're just becoming friends with them, and you're being an encourager, and you're being, them, being there for them when they go through difficult times. So I encourage you, that when we talk about being the church, we're talking in general about being the hands and feet of Christ. And we do that in organized ways at our local church. We also do that in scattered ways throughout the community, in ways that I don't even always hear about. Um, if you're doing that, tell me the stories. I want to hear about it, right? I want to be encouraged by what you're doing. That's one of the things I love about being the pastor of the church is getting to hear those stories of what God's doing through you out in the community. But the call is to be the church. One of the most important things you could do at an organizational level for us, if you're looking for a ministry, this is a very simple thing, I think, is to not come to church at 1030 you could, you could come to church at 9 o'clock, or really what we'd love to see is a lot of you come to church at 5 o'clock because everybody kind of wants to come to church at 10.30. So what we have is we kind of have this swing up and down where we have uh, no room for people, no parking spaces for people, and everybody's here at 10.30, and then people are like, yeah, I don't want to go to that church, it's too crowded. And so if, if you're looking for a ministry, that's a very real ministry. You could, you could come to worship at 5 p.m. It's the same service, except there's more room. You can spread out, you know, you can kick your legs to the side, right? Um, there, there's more room, but you could come to that service, invite people to that service. That's a very real way that you could help us in our ministry. But as I said, God's got to tell you the way to do that. That may be a great way for you to plug in. You may just be looking for an idea, Dave. Thank you, that's a great idea. You may already have an idea, and I want to tell you, go for it. Go be unleashed in the community. Represent Jesus to others. 
share the voice that He's given you with other people. Whatever gift that is, whatever way that He's wired you, share the hope that you have in Christ with others. As we think about crossing cultures and and leaving home, I want to encourage you that the image that we should have is is not of a six-year-old running away from home because he's been mistreated, right? But we should have the image of someone who's been raised right, who's been loved, who's been equipped, who's been prepared, who's grown up, who has gifts and skills to share with the world. All of us who are parents, that's man, that's our dream, that's our hope, you know? That we could raise our children in a way where they just don't need too much counseling when they're older, you know? That, that they would feel equipped and they would feel loved and they would feel ready to just go out in the world and impact the world for the Lord. That, that's the dream. That, that's what we're looking for. So that we could follow in Jesus' footsteps. Who left heaven where everything was perfect and He came to earth to love us. Not because it was so great down here, but to share His grace. Let me pray for us. God, we thank You that You love us and that You crossed cultural boundaries to love us well. And I pray that You would teach us to do that. That You would show us how to do that. That You would enable us and empower us to do that by giving us a new heart. By giving us a, a new identification as a part of Your tribe of those who have been adopted by You. Lord, that You would um, give us a new voice. That we'd be able to hear You and share that truth with others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.